0: Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host Mitch Michaels as always in the chair talking sports on this podcast. We got hockey talk and a UFC preview. First up, Joe Crisali of NFL Network, good friend of mine. We're going to break down two Game 7s that took place in the NHL playoffs and preview the NHL Conference Finals. He's a New York guy so he's not exactly feeling thrilled about the Rangers losing to the Senators. And then Jose Young, the MMA writer for SI, is going to talk about UFC 211, headlined by two title fights, including Stipe Meoches defending the UFC heavyweight title against Junior Dos Santos, all that and more. It's the Money Mitch Effect. It's Friday, and here's the show. All right, now on the Money Mitch effect, more hockey talk. We are officially into the conference final round. Joe Crisali back on the show again, former NFL Network co-worker of mine. And Joe, thanks for joining the show, although probably not as pleasant as you would be uh, liking to talk about hockey at the moment.
1: Yeah, happy to be here. Not happy uh, at the moment. The Rangers taking that L, that typical playoff L.
0: Yeah, Joe, it was a tough one for you, and I know you were – I don't know. Were you back in in the states? I know you traveled abroad recently, but were you in the states for the Rangers getting eliminated?
1: I was back in the states for that final game. <laughs> yes, I was.
0: And wow, and just that one. So you missed just that one. Well, this this is a, a two part discussion on why I, the I Rangers I did keep lost. tabs,
1: though. I I kept tabs. I knew I knew what was going on. Now oh, they should have <laughs> won Game Five. Blew it.
0: Here's the thing, Joe. They could have won all five of the first games. Only in Game 6, and that's the genius of uh, that's that's what uh, hockey is truly an unpredictable sport, but Game 6 was the only time I thought as an outsider that Ottawa looked like they were the better team for most of the game.
1: It yeah, was... they... Rangers couldn't get the puck across the blue line. It was ridiculous trying to watch it. It was like... Ottawa was very... They were very aggressive on their back check, and the Rangers had nothing for it. They didn't know what the hell they were doing out there. They were trying to dump it in, but it wasn't doing them any good because no one was getting there fast enough to cycle the puck or do anything. They were just running around like a bunch of chickens with their heads cut off. With no idea what was going on. You
0: know, the first couple minutes of that game, really the whole first period, it was just brutal. The Ottawa just dictate pace and tempo. i got to bring this up, though, Joe. How bad did the Rangers' power play look, not only in Game 6 but all series? I mean, they couldn't get anything going. They had a couple <laughs> double minors they were working off of, and they still couldn't get it to break through.
1: It was, terrible. it was terrible. Mostly it was bad to watch because they are one of the better shorthanded scoring teams in the league. And just watching them in that last game, not able to even like get a shot in some of those power plays they had was just ridiculous. I mean, you kind of have to give credit to the Senators, but when you have that much firepower that the Rangers have with the speed that they have, with, like, the talent level that they have, you would just expect more from them on the power play. but They just didn't get it done.
0: You know, the Senators blocked 20 shots in Game 6, Joe, and they really dictated pace. I know the Rangers outshot, uh, outshot them at the end of the game, but one of the other big keys in addition to the power play, an underrated part of the game, was just how much Ottawa dominated in the face-off circle. I mean, I thought Ottawa was winning key draw after uh, key draw. Derek Stepan, uh, who I know you're a fan of, Joe, but 29% in the face-off circle. 29%. I That's was not going to get it done.
1: I was screaming at the TV. They could not win a faceoff in the offensive zone. They couldn't win a faceoff to save their lives. And if you can't win crucial faceoffs, you're not going to win the game. If you want to win the game, you've got to win the faceoff. You've got to have control of the puck, which they never did. zabanejad's goal was off a break. Like they, mm-hmm. they didn't establish any offense while in the offensive zone.
0: Yeah, no, it was, it was a fascinating game because I thought on one hand, you know, we, we talk about the backstory, how the Rangers were looking like the better team in a lot of those games and, and kind of game two and five in particular kind of blew those games. But this is the second straight series where Ottawa's come into a game six on the road and they've dominated. They've, taken, they've dominated time of possession and they've done a great job getting an early lead and just going from there. The Senators team is definitely growing up. Eric Carlson is a big reason for that, but they're very yeah, well coached. You're a man too. Boys <laughs> yeah. Out there. Yeah. They're very well coached and I thought they kept their emotions in check too. I don't know many teams, especially younger teams, that could go into Madison Square Garden and win this elimination game.
1: Well, they have. They have a lot of leaders on that team. Carlson's a leader and I will say I did have to listen to Pierre talk quite a bit on um, <laughs> behind the glass during the game. But he did make a point of how Bobby Ryan was coaching up the younger players, and pretty much everyone on the team is like, "Okay, you're going out there. This is your this is your time." Like all this kind of stuff, because he was just sitting there listening to him talk, and I guess that's that's a big deal.
0: Craig Anderson played great as well. Uh, we know about Carlson, and, and we'll see what goes on with this Ottawa team. as we're going to preview them a little later in the show. But for the Rangers, you mentioned it, Joe. This is another year where they don't get it done. <laughs> They have a talented team that gets to the second round of the playoffs. They don't go any further than that. Lundqvist, I think, is one win away or tied with Curtis Joseph for most goaltending wins without a Stanley Cup. So uh, I don't know. He's getting up there in age. I don't know how much longer this core group is going to be together.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was talking to you before the show about the trades they made in the offseason and how in the last couple years, every team that they've traded with, players has beat them in the playoffs. It just <laughs> drives me insane. Like last this year they traded Broussard, and then Broussard said after the series that he was just glad that the series was over because he said it was really upsetting seeing those are like his best friends with him. Him and Zooker like but their their best plus. Seeing them all sad and down was, was tough for him. He's just glad it was over. But is Broussard this year a couple years ago, Calhan, Boyle, Strong, all those guys beat them in the playoffs. And then like you said Hagelin was traded to Ducks, but he ended up on the team, And the Penguins beat them, and they won the cup. So it's just very frustrating seeing players that were on the team already winning Cups when they should be on the Rangers.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine the pain that <laughs> that would be, especially not only to lose, but to see somebody that wore the Ranger blue going further and potentially winning the Cup. This is still a good team, and I don't know that Lundquist is slipping that much I think there's some roster reinforcements that need to be made. I think the power play needs to be addressed. I think depth is a question. I mean, we 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 started to see that uh, at least later stages of the playoffs that defensive depth wasn't quite there, so give credit to Ottawa. It wasn't. And And the Rangers have to address some key needs and figure out what direction they're going to go if prospects are are ready to come up or if they're going to have to go out and acquire somebody else. Well, We'll see. Hey, as we transition on with Joe Crisali on the Money Mitch Effect talking playoff hockey, it could always be worse, Joe. You could be a D.C. sports fan and that's where we are with that statement on this Thursday as we record this after the Capitals lose another Game 7 at home to the Pittsburgh Penguins, two to nothing in a very depressing, very depressing fashion. It's the same old story, Joe. The Capitals just choke with the playoffs are on the line, right?
1: Every single year. I mean, it doesn't make me any, it doesn't upset me at all. I enjoy watching it. Watching the Penguins beat them, though, I just can't stand it. But the Capitals, they, they're just, and it doesn't matter what move they make. They have the same cycle every single year. They make it Game Seven. They get knocked out. Off season, they make some trades. Everyone hypes them up. Oh, they're going to get really good. And then during the season, this year they got Kevin Shattenkirk, and then they play really well. And then they get to the playoffs, and they just suck it up. Well,
0: this is really unfortunate because they were down three one, and they forced this Game Seven by getting back to basics and and playing from the third period of Game Five. Just great, great hockey on both ends of the ice. Game Seven. Was kind of, I mean, and I use the phrase depressing, but it kind of just showed you that talent doesn't always win hockey games. Because you could even see it in that game, Joe. Right, like the Capitals have the more talented roster, the more flashier play, the more depth at pretty much every position. But when the going gets tough, for whatever reason, it's the Pens that are always to make those plays, and the Capitals can't do it. We saw the cap. We saw two goals in this game that were pretty much mirror images of each other. Failed breakouts, failed clearing attempts by the Capitals and the Penguins just capitalized off it, got numbers, and scored. Uh, I think that we're going to remember this game as turnovers by the Capitals and also just the listlessness on offense.
1: Well, first, you calling the Penguins tough is just a hard pill to swallow because that is not (laughs) something that I agree with.
0: Okay, I'll give you that.
1: No, I I totally agree. The Capitals, they just didn't get it done when they needed to get it done.
0: You know, and I I look at Ovechkin (laughs) in particular. He's going to be the person that takes the brunt of this because you have a guy like Crosby on the other side that has two cups and now is the favorite to win his third cup, which I know we we're both about to puke after that statement came out of my mouth, but it's true. You look at Ovechkin, you look at Ovechkin. You know, the offense scores no goals. He's, I don't want to say directly responsible, but partially responsible for that second goal where he kind of reached on the puck. It was a bad pass by Shattenkirk a little bit, and then Holpe lets in a weak goal. But Ovechkin gets some, some of that blame as well. And the legacy for a guy that is going to go down as the second or possibly best goal scorer in NHL history is going to be that he can't get it done in the playoffs. Do you think that's fair, or do you think he's getting too much of the blame for all of the capital struggles?
1: Uh, I, I'd say he's getting too much of the blame. He, gets, he gives them anywhere from 30 to 50 goals, maybe more than that, every year. I mean, he is the face of their team, and everyone wants to point fingers at him, but there's so many more factors a team not pulling it together in the playoffs. Like even Holtby wasn't playing very well and he was one of the best goalies, it's not the best goalie in the entire league for the whole season, so it just didn't it just didn't pan out. But it wasn't just it wasn't just O V, it was it was the whole team, I guess. You can't really blame just one person like that. That'd be blaming Lonquist for the Rangers woes which you just as a fan you just can't do.
0: Yeah, well I think that's why you're more understanding having live through it as a fan with Lundquist. You know that it's not only him and, and I agree, I mean, he deserves as much blame as any member of that locker room for last night's performance and the goal against was, you know, partially his fault, but the whole team didn't score any goals. I mean Hopi even even Hopi giving up a week one week goal, they lost two to nothing. All right. So let's not just say they lost because of Hopi. They didn't score any goals. You're not gonna win when that's the case. They made <laughs>
1: Yeah. They made Mark Andre Fleury look like he was better than Holtby, which
0: That's ridiculous. in
1: the playoffs, is, in in the playoff history, that is not proven to be true ever. But yeah,
0: well, it's it's incredible that Holt that you know it's funny that Mark Andre Fleury, you know, Matt Murray's warming up against the Blue Jackets before Game One. And he tweaks his groin, <laughs> and now here we are, you know, over a, like a month later, and Fleury is the catalyst. It's unbelievable. I. I I'm sick of it too, but I got to respect it. I got to respect what the Penguins are doing and you know, with with guys going out with without Chris Letang, Crosby's battling some injuries, and now the Capitals are just doomed again. I just don't know what Washington can do, you know, going forward, Joe, especially with the fact that a lot of these guys are going to be free agents next year. So, I don't know how they keep everyone intact.
1: I mean, that could be a blessing in disguise, you know. Whenever you see big name players go over to Teams, it doesn't always pan out. Like when the Rangers traded Callan and Boyle and Strawman to the Lightning for Marty St. Louis, that didn't work out for them. So, I mean, I've seen it. They might be honestly better off just letting pick in a couple of those guys they want to keep that they think are going to be core pieces and letting everybody else walk because having more of a camaraderie and and more depth is, is better than just having high paid guys.
0: Yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't think Oshie and Shattenkirk are back. I think those are pretty much givens that they're gonna. If if unless they take less money, you know, they're gone. They're they're not going to be able to afford them. So we'll see what the Capitals do. We'll get to the Penguins Eastern Conference Finals preview at the end, towards the end of the show. But I think we can agree on one thing, Joe, and that's nobody outside of Western Pennsylvania likes the Penguins.
1: Yeah, I agree <laughs> with that.
0: Okay, glad we're on the same page there. All right. As we move forward on the Money Mitch effect, there was one other Game 7 last night where the home team did win, and believe it or not, the Anaheim Ducks won a Game 7 on home ice for the first time in five years. They did that. Joe, so it was incredible. It was incredible to see them beat the Oilers and exercise all those demons, especially after the game started with a ridiculous turnover by Theodore where Drake Kudula <laughs> just crashes the net and gets the NHL hit-style goal. You think okay, it's Pope the same Jack. old it's the same old ducks yet again, but no. They come back and win that game two to one. Was this a surprising outcome or did you think ultimately at game seven the more experienced team would win?
1: I mean it was surprising because the ducks are known to be to falter in game seven. But after seeing that poke check goal to start the game, you're kinda of just thinking like, Oh man, here we go again with the Ducks but they really pulled it together. They really yeah. shut down. They were doubling on McDavid every time he got the puck. Mm-hmm. They really clamped down and were able to pause those two goals and, and take the game.
0: Yeah, and I saw a stat, too, that was interesting. In the five, in the four games that they've lost in Game sevens on home ice, and this one included that they won, in each one of those games, they had given up the first goal within the first seven minutes of the game. So they got off to slow starts in every single one. It was nice to see that they were able to rebound. You mentioned King off on McDavid. That's what makes game six just inexplainable. Like I had no idea how that happened where you think, okay, this bigger, more physical team should just be able to overpower and grind out the game. And that's what they did when they got the lead waiting that when they got the two-to-one lead, they just put the clamps on Edmonton kind of like what the Rangers were having troubles with. They couldn't get the puck across the red line.
1: They were struggling. I mean, the last the last two minutes of that game were absolutely insane. The mm-hmm. Oilers were flying around mm-hmm. the ice. McDavid was dishing passes to everyone and ev- anyone and everyone that he could get close to, giving them opportunities to score. And I guess you could kind of say the Ducks got lucky towards the end there. Gibson really stood on his head, and their defense really shut out the slot and didn't really let the Oilers get close enough to have great chances.
0: They did. It was a great playoff for Ryan Getzlaf, who's – among the best in the league right now in the postseason. And Ryan Kessler, it's why you get a guy like him to lock up McDavid and do the best you can to slow down this younger Edmonton team. And also I gotta mention this too. How about Caguano scoring a goal? Joe, he's the resident NHL Iron Man. He has played in over seven hundred and eighty straight games since his career started. Now let's just think about that for a second. I know we all respect Lou Gehrig and Cal Ripken and you know the people that have it in other sports But this guy's played over 780 straight NHL games without injury. Incredible.
1: Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Because NHL is, to me, the most grueling sport you can play. And you see, once teams get eliminated, you see the injuries that they actually are playing with. These guys are playing with broken ankles, broken legs, broken arms. And for him to not take the brunt of that and get... Injured and be able to go out there every night for 780
0: straight games, which is insane. Yeah. Well, He's crazy. We got to talk about just a quick aside. The two, in that regard, the two uh, guys that deserve shout outs more than anything are Joe Thornton, who was playing with the torn ACL MCL, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But, and I don't, I don't know if yeah. you heard this, Joe. Alex Steen, did you see what he was dealing with?
1: No, I didn't see it.
0: Broken foot before the Nashville series that. He also blocked a shot with that same foot and broke it further. Every day, he would get, he would have two shots, one before warm-ups just to get his foot into his skate, and one after warm-ups higher on the ankle just to play. Oh. He couldn't physically get his foot into his skate without a numbing shot.
1: <laughs> you just don't see that toughness in other sports at all. Incredible. Mostly because it's not allowed. <laughs> I know.
0: I know. It's, uh, yeah, that's, but, that's one way to look at it. But yeah. it is. It's insane that they're putting themselves through that just to win the cup, and it shows you how important it is. I do want to put a bow on the Edmonton Oilers, though. I thought, look, okay, I mean, they got to the second round of the yeah. playoffs, game seven. I know it hurts to lose an elimination game when you're this close, but this team had a very good season, and I think it's safe to say they'll be back very, very soon and very often.
1: Yeah, they were counted out this year. They thought, everyone thought that they were too young, but they pulled together. And like you said, we're going to be seeing them in the playoffs for quite some time, especially with the young talent and firepower that they have.
0: Yeah, Dreid Seidel, he's going to be high on some fantasy uh, drafts next year. You know, I think that's funny too. Yeah. The guy, the guy, they're like, "Where did this guy come from?" He's not a number one overall pick. He's a number three overall pick. So, I mean, he's not as good as some <laughs> yeah. of his teammates, but we you know he, he's he could be the best German hockey player of all time when it's all said and done. There's a realistic chance of that happening.
1: I mean, if he plays for the rest of his career like he did in that series, I would have to say, yeah. Yeah, there's also just not that many German,
0: you know, franchise, you know, Hall of Fame-type talents, and he's got something special, but we'll see. It was a good season for the Oilers. They'll be they'll be back, and you won't have to see Cam Talbot hoist the trophy this year, so that's one step in the positive direction.
1: Yeah, I, I forgot about Cam Talbot, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Every every guy every guy that the Rangers trade away ends up in the playoffs at some point awesome. in the near future
0: on one of these teams. Well, that's the that's the gift that keeps on giving. All right, Money Mitch effect. We'll talk a little bit about the conference finals. We got to preview these series, and we're going to stay out west with the Ducks and the Predators. Very very few people had these two teams as their Western Conference representatives yet. Here we are. Nashville goes on the road to Anaheim. And I got to be honest, Joe, this is a coin flip series. I know Anaheim has home ice and they're a very dangerous team, but Nashville has, I put it at about a 50-50 chance of winning this series and going to their first cup final.
1: I'm with you there. No one had Nashville winning the first round and everyone had the Blackhawks winning everything and they swept them. And they just went bananas through all the other teams they played as you get to this point and... Like you said, it's 50 50. Ducks play a completely different style of hockey, but I don't know. It's, it's so tough. Right? Especially and, with, like, you know, it's and so I think,
0: tough. I think, too, um, th- these games are going to be violent. Like, if you want physicality, watch the Western Conference final. You know, that's the game where the hitting is going to be turned up and the way these teams play. I'll say this Nashville's a little faster. I think their best chance is to kind of use some of their speed with Arvidsson and Johansson up front and get, get Roman Yossi and Subban in space. You know how Anaheim wants to play. They just want to wear you down. But I think their advantage is the best way to score on Pekka Renee isn't to try to do what Chicago did and just play fast, try to get out of man rushes. It's just to create havoc in front of him. So I think they'll have a better chance than the previous two teams, the Blues and the Blackhawks, at scoring on Renee but it is to me a coin flip and and i would say the key to this series is john gibson and what anaheim's netminder does against nashville's offense cuz he's he's got
1: some game yeah, in him but was, can uh, he be consistent? He was up and down. He had a he had a pretty rough start to the year, but he pulled it together towards the end. And he did make some questionable decisions in that game 7 going after pucks out of the crease and not, you know, holding his ground, but i mean he kind of got a little lucky there. For the Predators, if they can capitalize on some of the, Because he's young. He's a young guy. But So if the, if the uh, Predators can capitalize on some of those mental mistakes that he makes. But then again, he has that... The Ducks defense is just crazy good.
0: Yeah. Both these teams have depth unbelievable. I'm looking forward to Predators defense versus Ducks offense. Even further down third and fourth lines. I mean, they have some talent. I mean, it is, the depth in this series is off the charts. And I think... Uh, you know, you look at a lot of the grind style players that are going to be huge in this series. I mean, it would not surprise me if the leading scorer is a guy that's further down on the depth chart for either of these teams. If it is a guy like Mike Fisher, Cagliano could have a big series. You know, you name it. Uh, I think Ricard Raquel's another one with speed that could keep up with some of the the Predators guys. The Ducks can't lose the first two games at home and expect to win this series again. You can't go to Nashville and that crowd down 0-2. Just cannot happen.
1: Not happening. <laughs> I don't I don't think it will be. I, I say split split game 7.
0: I wow, and that's what happened last year. There were seven games when they played in the first round and Nashville upset them in Anaheim winning that game 7, but well, we'll see. We're going to do the picks after we talk about the East, but I'll leave with this though. Wouldn't it be just amazing? I mean, I know I don't know how you're feeling, but I got to get to a game at Nashville in the next couple of years cuz that atmosphere is amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, just Seeing how the sea of gold and the octopus and all that stuff—that would just be dope.
0: It's gonna be—it's gonna look like the car rush this series, right? Just all that yellow and orange everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> just a tribute to. If the they wear, wear
1: those two, if they wear those against each other, yeah, it totally will be. But that, uh, again, just going going to Nashville would be so cool because their logo is one of the one of my favorite ones in the league. Yeah, it's man. This as is, if that has any relevance <laughs> to anything. But
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think that might be it. Might I mean, it might sway them. You know, knowing that you have their favorite, they have your favorite logo, that could push them a little further. I don't know. Maybe one of
1: my <laughs> fa- One of my favorites. Rangers got to be number one because that's my squad. But. There you go.
0: Okay. Well, let's look at the East real quick here, Joe. Pittsburgh and Ottawa. Everybody's going to come in in this series talking about how good the Penguins are and how they're deservedly so the favorites. Give me one reason why, if there is one, that you think Ottawa has a chance to win this series,
1: Eric Carlson. Not
0: that be if we were doing Family Feud, that'd probably be the number one answer on the board. That's a good <laughs> yeah. start. I, I oh, agree, man. but like, but but is he healthy? I'm look. i no one has sung his praises more than me during this postseason. He has been unbelievable, but he's probably playing on one wheel, which makes it all that more remarkable. And I agree that he can cause some serious problems for the Penguins, but they're going to need more. You know, they're going to need more than that to beat this Pittsburgh team. I think they're going to need more out of their defense because you know Pittsburgh's going to be coming with not just Crosby, but Malkin, but Kunitz, you know, Kessel, and Jake Gunsel, uh, who I mean, came out of nowhere. Now, Jake Gunsel is like the leading goal scorer in the playoffs, so yeah. as if they needed more help. But it's going to be tough for Ottawa. I'll, I'll honestly say that.
1: I mean, do you think Ottawa's gotten lucky to this point? Seeing like all the players that have scored goals for them, they're not—they're not like top line guys. They're getting points from third, fourth line guys that are just coming up in the class. You know, it's and who not knows luck how that it, will fare against Pittsburgh?
0: You know, it's not luck if it keeps happening. And I keep going back to winning two game sixes on the road to, you know, with that home game in po- in pocket where they could have gone back and they they finished the job. Then I think that showed a lot of maturity. I think Craig Anderson is going to have to have probably the series of his life because he's going to be tested a lot more than he has been in rounds one and two. There's something weird, though, yeah. Joe, about this, this playoff format because now we're getting teams that don't play in the same division, that are playing for you know, the third time, and they play twice or maybe three times a year in the regular season, but they don't really know each other. So I think Ottawa, they could, you know, they could steal one early. I think that's the key for them. You can't be falling down zero two going back to Ottawa. You might be able to catch Pittsburgh a little, you know, with their guard down a little deflated, having just played the Capitals. I think Game One is one that they can absolutely steal, and I think it for their best interest to do so.
1: Yeah, I'm, I totally have to agree with that. If they can steal one in Pittsburgh. Have the first two games there, uh, they might be able to push to win the series going be so hard because I mean the peng- It's just the penguins. You don't like you don't, There's no more explanation. Like the <laughs> Senators are the Penguins, you know. Yeah. I would love to see the Senators win, but who knows how that's going to happen?
0: We'll see. Crosby's health is another thing. I, he hasn't really produced since he came back. That could be something to monitor. So I don't know if it's the same old Sid. And the other thing too. I mean, we talked about Nashville's crowd. Joe, we got conference final playoff hockey in Canada. I mean, that, that's that got to amount for something. I know Ottawa's not Montreal or Toronto. Don't tell them that, but the crowd's going to be rocking.
1: <laughs> yeah, playoff hockey, conference hockey in Canada you be dope.
0: Did you see them partying in uh, after they beat the Rangers? I know it was kind of hard, but did you see how they were celebrating in Ottawa?
1: No, I, I didn't really uh, look up any of the uh, yeah. opposing team's celebrations.
0: So they were hanging on the sidewalk when the lights were green and partying in the streets only when they turned red. They'd just <laughs> go crazy when they went red, and then they'd go back to the sidewalk on green. <laughs> so, <laughs> so That's it's, awesome. That's another Canadian celebration. Well, all right. Joe Crisali, Money Mitch Effect, NHL Conference Finals. How do you see each series going, starting with the East? Because I feel like that might be more easy for you to come to an, uh, an outcome.
1: I mean, you, you know me very well as far as my picks are detrimental to that team. So I'm going to pick the Penguins.
0: It's <laughs> true. I'm still waiting <laughs> on that Blackhawks Wild series. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Okay, so you're going to go Penguins. How many games?
1: Ooh. Penguins in I mean
0: 5 games. 5, wow, quick work, huh? I'm going to you know what? You know what I'm going to say? I I think Ottawa is very underrated. I think they came in this season as a a darling on a lot of radars and I thought you know, it might have been a little too soon, but I've liked a lot of what I've seen, especially in this playoff run. I'm going to say Penguins based on experience, based on Crosby, you name it, you locked in. I think it goes 7. I really do. I might be wishful thinking, but I, mean, I just we, think this Ottawa's team is a good team and I know Pittsburgh's not exactly hitting their perfect stride. There's another gear to get to. They might be a little banged up, but I like the pens in seven.
1: That would be sweet to see game seven games, but the the uh the most I can do <laughs> to make the Penguins lose is picking them in five, so Okay.
0: Yeah. Or you could say three, I don't know. I mean you could just say they'll win and you know, won't show up. <laughs> All right, Western sweet. Conference. <laughs>
1: Oh, see this one, like it's it's a coin coin flip. I'm gonna go. I'll go preds. Preds and seven.
0: Preds and seven. I am going to say preds and six. I like this Nashville team. I think they close it out at home in a game six, and I think Anaheim, while they've played a lot better, I don't know that Gibson's going to be able to handle that hostile environment. I think it is going to be one one going back. To Nashville, where that team is perfect in the playoffs, and I think they're going to get it done. I think Nashville. I'm, I'm a fan of this team, and you can check the tape, Joe. Preseason, I had them going to the finals. Now I was just like everybody else. The Preds. I did, but now, uh, and I'm going to admit, I'm going to admit everything though. I'm just like everybody else. During the playoffs started, I was disappointed by what I saw from the Preds this season, and thought Chicago would dust them in five. But. Going back to preseason I thought this team had cup potential. So I'm not Well,
1: you look like a genius now.
0: <laughs> hey, I've I've already you know, I, I've already jumped off the boat. I had to swim back and beg them to take me back on, so I don't know if they did yet, but I'm just trying to get back in Nashville's good graces. And also, if we get a finals that involves Nashville, we know what that city would look like. We also know it's gonna be going on hmm. around the same time as the Country Music Awards, so that city is
1: gonna be bumping. Yes, it will be. I've never been there, but I would love some of that country fried chicken, hot chicken, <laughs> while the Preds are in the playoffs. Yeah, well, I yeah, think
0: they they're going for it. Preds-Penn's final would be, would be something crazy. I do want to end with this, though. we got one other thing to address, especially with this Nashville team. Is there anybody that runs their city, or is there a better power couple that runs a city, especially with a sports franchise, than Mike Fisher and Carrie Underwood?
1: No, I don't. I don't think so. And is
0: there anybody that you would rather tra- would you more likely rather trade your life with than Mike Fisher? <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's a pretty good one. I, I, it's a pretty good one. Yeah, he's got hockey. a pretty good. Li- he's got a pretty good life. <laughs> play hockey. Plays go hockey. Go he's got a hot wife. Yeah. She sings the national anthem. Yeah, he's wow. got a sweet little kid.
0: He's probably going to be a good hockey player. Loved by his city. <laughs> oh man
1: whatever you know i'm totally fine just telling here
0: <laughs> and <laughs> just hanging out yeah we're all just we're all just hanging out wishing we could be mike fisher but you know it happens well, all right joe chrisali thanks for coming on the show we'll have to we'll have to yeah, reconvene we'll have to reconvene and see if our picks are wrong yet again
1: well my picks are almost always wrong so <laughs> all
0: right man take care it's going to
1: be ducks duck, duck instead <laughs>
0: for sure All right, big thanks to Joker Sally for coming on the show and talking hockey and explaining in great detail why the Rangers keep trading players to teams that end up doing well and beating them in the playoffs. So that was was informative. But conference finals start today. Anaheim National first game in Orange County. Can't wait for that. We're in the final four of hockey. What a time to be alive. All right, now it's time to talk to Jose Young's on the Money Mitch effect. He's going to break down UFC 211. Jose writes for SI. He's an MMA writer. He's going to break down the entire fight card, including some preliminary battles. This is as good as it gets in the UFC in 2017. Two title fights on the card. And we're also going to talk a little bit off the top about that boxing match that was made between Triple G and Canelo Alvarez. Should be exciting there as well. Jose Young's Money Mitch Effect. Here it is. All right, UFC 211 is this Saturday night, and that means it's time to talk UFC on the Money Mitch Effect, bringing back onto the show, reoccurring guest friend of the program, UFC MMA writer for SI, Jose Youngs. Jose, welcome back to the show.
2: What's up, man? Always happy to be on.
0: It's fun. It's a good time of year. We've got a big UFC pay-per-view, but I do want to say before we get to that, there's another buzz in a different sport right now. How excited are you on a scale of one to ten about finally getting a date for Canelo Golovkin?
2: One to ten, <laughs> yeah. uh, probably fifteen. Okay. I've been waiting for this fight. I mean, I get why they didn't do it. Like, if they had fought in a few years ago, I would have been just as excited. But it's boxing, and Canelo has proven that he can hit a million pay-per-view buys. He's the, he's the big draw, but Golovkin. Hasn't proven that he can guarantee 500,000 pay-per-view buys So just because he's the best fight one of the arguably the best But he's definitely one of the best fighters on planet earth doesn't mean he can draw And I don't think Canelo was worried about him losing. I think Canelo and his team Well, I don't want to say Canelo because Canelo didn't care He would have fought him three or four years ago. No problem But his team said give him a few wins and make him a bigger star and that's exactly what they did and it's paying off I I can't even describe how excited I am for that
0: fight! We're all pretty excited as boxing fans, and you could tell how serious they thought the uh, the fight would be, the Chavez fight would be for Canelo when they had all the graphics and promo oh, ready right. to go. Absolutely, <laughs> with the date, I'm I'm excited too because you said it's boxing. The sport needs a big money fight, a big time fight, and this is it. This is, I would argue, and I think you would agree that this is as big of a super fight as you can make right now.
2: This is the biggest fight, in my opinion, this is the biggest fight since uh, Mayweather, Pacquiao. And that's obviously, like yeah. I think that did like 4.6 million pay-per-view buys, and that they did that after they were in the, the prime of their career. And yeah, Cotto and Canelo was a big deal. I Amir mean, Khan and Cannella were was a big deal. And obviously whenever Klitschko or Joshua fights uh, Fury or Deontay Wilder, that'll be a big deal, but in terms of... In terms of the mainstream media tuning in, it, it it nothing will be as big. Maybe if Andre Ward fights one of these two guys, but at this moment, this is the biggest fight you, they can make.
0: It's it's as big as it gets, and we're going to be covering that in detail on this show as it gets closer to the date. And I know you personally, Jose. You're kind of torn on this one. Two of your favorite I, fighters,
2: <laughs> absolutely no. Yeah, these are two probably one and two of my one and two on my favorite fighter list right now and. Uh, I don't know who to pick. My 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 mind says Golovkin. I think he just hits harder. He's a bigger guy, but then every time I think Canelo every time Canelo fights a bigger guy, he just outclasses him with technique. So I think it's it is a beautiful matchup and I c I can't I wish it was September sixteenth right now.
0: It's gonna be here soon. It's it's only you know, it's only four months away. So that's it's not like we're we're gearing up for much longer. Alvarez Very is true. ready to get right back into the ring. We're excited for that as we are for ufc 211 a star-studded card at this ufc pay-per-view and jose i know i know how excited you are about this as is the case for every fight card but you've been hyping up this one in particular for a little while now what is it about this card that's that's got you buzzing that's got you feeling like it could be one of the best fight cards of the year
2: when we talked about ufc 205 back in november they had three title fights and then they had Ronda Rousey, and one of them was Conor McGregor, and then they had Ronda Rousey fighting at the end of December, and then they had two pay-per-views in December, technically, and then Daniel Cormier was hurt. So they used a lot of their champions in a very short amount of time, to the point where they, they all of the champions were tied up, or hurt, or banged up, or they, they couldn't get the turnaround, so... January, they were supposed to. They were supposed to have a pay-per-view. UFC 208 was supposed to be in Anaheim, and they canceled it because they didn't have a headliner because there were no champions available. Uh, UFC 208 in Brooklyn was one of the most lackluster pay-per-view cards I, I can remember. Not a very good main event. Anderson Silva was uncharacteristically in a, in a so-so fight, and then UFC 209, you had Habib and uh, Tony Ferguson fall apart, and then Woodley versus. Thompson, 2 wasn't what people thought it was going to be. UFC 210 was great, but not a lot of people bought it. Uh, you had the controversy outside of those top two fights. There wasn't a lot of big marquee fights. So now we're getting to May, June, July, and all these fighters that were basically on the shelf in the beginning of the year, the first quarter of 2017, are now all available. So now it's a double-edged sword. So, yeah, we had to sit through maybe two or three so so pay-per-views, but now we're getting again. We're going to get back to back to back very stacked cards. And it, honestly, in terms of important fights, talents, storylines, or just fun fights in general, it doesn't get much better than UFC 211 in Dallas. I, I, you said I've been hyping it up forever, and I think it's a because, like I said, we got a few lackluster fights. But you take any of the top four fights, and they could main event a card by themselves. So. This, this is the definition of a fun summer fight card.
0: We have two title fights. You have four, the top four fights on this card, as you said, hands down, could be as good as any fight on any card. And as we're going to get to right now, the prelims are yeah. unbelievable as well. You have guys, guys and girls fighting on the prelims on the fight pass where they could be on any main card. This is how stacked this is. And looking at the prelims, Jose, what stands out maybe to the lesser-known UFC fan? What are some good fights that people should be locked in on early on this fight card?
2: In terms of, like, fighters that not a lot of people know, uh, Jessica Aguilar is the the last fight on the UFC Fight Pass prelim. And Jessica Aguilar kind of got a, a, a bum deal because she was the the best female strawweight on the planet for so long, but the UFC didn't have a strawweight division. So she went over to Bellator, and she did she did really well. She got, like, maybe five or six wins. Uh, and then she signed the World Series of Fighting, won their inaugural strawweight championship and defended it several times and at the time that was the only really mainstream American uh, promotion that offered women's strawweight outside of Invicta and she was the champion for so long. And then they, she signs this exclusive deal with them. And then not soon after, they introduce the strawweights into the UFC. So she was basically the best female strawweight that wasn't in the UFC. Then she finally gets released out of good faith from World Series of Fighting and joins the UFC. And she fights Claudia Gadelha in her first fight at UFC 190, which is not a pushover. Claudia Gadelha is arguably the best strawweight, not named Joanna Ljacek on the planet. Uh, fought her twice. Both fights were very narrow. And she tore ACL. Uh, She got really hurt, so she was out for a long time. And then she re-injures her knee. She's supposed to come back and fight, and she re-injures her knee. So she's been out, I think, for almost two years. And for so long, she was the best, gets injured, gets a setback, and now she's coming back again. So she hasn't won in the UFC, but she's 0-1. One win here, I think people seem to forget about her when they're talking about, like, oh, who can fight. Uh, for the strawweight title next and she puts on a good performance against Courtney Casey. I don't see why one more fight she you, you could see her challenging for the title just because she was so dominant for so long. So for the really diehard fans that that tuned in to non-UFC fights in the past, uh, you should definitely recognize Jessica Aguilar and then if you just want a really really fun scrap, there's a handful. I mean Marco Polo Reyes versus James Vick, Marco Marco Polo uh <laughs> Was it? Yeah, his name is Marco Polo. It's a very fun Great. name. Yeah, uh, it's
0: not a nickname.
2: <laughs> no, his that's his real name. Marco Polo has fought at UFC 199. One of the best fights I've ever seen. Uh, got really, really banged up. I can't I can't remember for the life of me who he fought. Oh, uh, Dong Young Kim, a uh, different Dong Young Kim. There's two Dong Young Kims in the UFC, but the lightweight. Yeah. And that is one of the best fights I've ever seen live. And it was on a prelim. And the, it, it I don't think this might be his first fight since then. It might be his second, but he got banged up. James Vick from Texas oh, is, is the definition of a finisher. He's one of those guys that will get choked out or get knocked out or he'll knock you or choked out. It's very rare he reaches a decision. And then to round it out, you got Chaz Skelly, who doesn't seem like you see him. You go, wow, he, must, he, I, he doesn't really look like that much of a fighter. Mm-hmm. But he's coming off back-to-back uh, submission wins, and his only loss in the UFC well, – one of his only two losses in the UFC is to Darren Elkins, who is on fire and he has a win over Kevin Souza, who is also one of the better fighters. So, yeah, he just lost it in Bellator, but he's, he's now no pushover. Jason Knight, his opponent is one of the most fun fighters on the roster. I mean, uh, he, when I say he's killer be killed, I mean, I don't, he's the definition of it. Like he, he steps in the ring. He, he doesn't really put his hands near his head because he's too busy throwing haymakers or looking for chokes or looking for head kicks. Uh, his style of defense is he's going to take five punches to the face and he's going to land one big bomb on your jaw. So Exactly. So I don't know how long he can keep that up. Has a real southern twang, uh, good old boy kind of guy. He's, he's pretty intelligent on the mic. He knows what he wants. He has a pretty big fan base. So this prelim has everything. Jessica Aguilar is there for the diehard fans. Chas Skelly versus Jason Knight is there for the fans who just want to tune in and watch see craziness. Marco mm-hmm. Polo Reyes and James Vick is for is one of those fights that's just important for that division. I mean, this prelim really has everything and we haven't even touched upon the top five fights.
0: No, we haven't. And uh <laughs> It's interesting because we, you can you can basically get a great show out of all the fights you've just named. We haven't even got to the top of the prelim, which features a returning Eddie Alvarez, Jose, yeah. fighting on the prelim after losing to Conor McGregor, and he gets Dustin Poirier, known as the Diamond, who has a record of twenty-one and five. He beat Jim Miller by decision at UFC two hundred eight. He's got losses to Michael Johnson and, and Conor McGregor way back in twenty fourteen, and McGregor's rise to the top, but a tough fight. And this is Alvarez who is coming off of a knockout. What do you think is going to be, you know, the big storyline going into this fight? Is Alvarez able to bounce back or is Poirier going to give him more than he can handle?
1: Yeah, this is a just this is a
2: fun scrap and this is an important one cuz that Jim Miller fight that Justin Poirier won was one fight of the night and I was at UFC 2 away and I think that in, that was like one of the few really good fights of that night. So Justin Poirier his fight against the Korean zombie, I think back in 2011 or 2012, is my personally my favorite fight ever. And he's one of those guys that he'll string together like three or four wins. Like he picked up four wins and then loses the Korean Zombie and then he'll pick up four more wins he loses to Conor McGregor then he picks up four more wins and he loses to Michael Johnson but he's not picking up four wins over Scrubs like he's beating Diego Brandao and and Bobby Green and Nakira Khorasani it's like he's one of those guys that is perennially like ranked 5 to 10 and then as soon as he cracks the top 10 they give him a big name and he seems to stumble Eddie Alvarez is in the top 10 he's the former champion he got knocked out by conor mcgregor but you look at the three fighters he beat he beat Rafael dos angeles former ufc champion beat anthony pettis former ufc champion beat gilbert melendez former strike strike force champion so these these are top five guys and he needs a rebound against a guy who struggled to get past a top five guy so this is like which fighter is going to get over the hump is con is eddie Alvarez? going to beat Dustin Poirier and get, push his name back in the title contention? Or is Dustin Poirier, for the first time in his career, finally get over the hump and, and push his name into the top five, top four, and put his name on the shortlist? Because it seems every time, like I said, he's one or two fights away, he loses. So uh, Eddie Alvarez is one of the more grounded fighters in the UFC. He he's he hasn't been one to shy away. Like someone asking about his loss to Conor McGregor. He's not hiding from him. He's not yeah. shying away. He's been very open. He's saying, you know, I feel free now. Like, Losing to Conor McGregor is the most embarrassing moment of my life, and uh, it's the most one of the most bought pay-per-view. So it doesn't get worse than that. The only way it can go is up. So right. it's it is a fascinating. Like I said before, like this fight card has everything, including storylines. This is a very interesting storyline for which fighter can get over that hump. Right, I'm I'm excited. Oh, and for- one thing one yeah, thing I want right. to say is this fight this the prelims are on FX. Most prelims are on Fox Sports. The I forget what's on tomorrow, but something took that time slot. So if anybody is interested in watching the, these prelims, it'll be on FX, not Fox Sports One.
0: Yeah, I don't think Derek Jeter nights till Sunday, so I don't think it's uh, yeah. Nike I have no idea, yeah. but yeah, no, it's a it's a good call by you, and I'm excited for that fight to see Alvarez back in the octagon against Poirier. And when we get to the main card, Jose still chatting with Jose Youngs on the money. Mitch Effect UFC 211. You mentioned the top four fights, but the first fight on the main card is the only middleweight fight of the day, and that's an underrated fight in my mind. Oh, have, for sure. You have Christoph Jodko; He's you know, under 30, Polish fighter, 19-1 record, and he's fighting a guy in Dave Branch who's yeah know, mid-30s, hasn't lost since 2012, and that loss was to Rumble, Anthony Rumble Johnson. So yeah, it, it, these are dangerous fighters fighting in the opening fight of this. In a middleweight fight that I would guess, looking from the outside is going to have a lot to say in terms of where the rankings are going to go. This is a big fight for rankings to see if either of these guys are real players in the title fight.
1: Yeah, and
2: Christoph Jaco is one of those guys. He came in like 13 or 12-0 and 0 into the UFC and then he like, I think he won one or two and then he stumbled. And that's his only loss. And then he strung together five or six wins. And I know for a fact his last win was over Talos is who is by absolutely no pushover. That like you And he beat Talos is in Brazil, and that is no easy task. So that was his that was his big push into the top 15. And David Branch, like you said, his last loss was to Anthony Johnson. Anthony Johnson is light heavyweight. They fought at catchweight. And this is actually David Branch has fought in the UFC before. He got cut back in 2011 uh, when he lost to Husamar Palhares by knee bar. And that's like there's, that's nothing to, to cry over because everyone loses to Husamar Palhares by knee bar. Uh, he gets cut. Loses to Rumble Johnson, which is, again, like, you can't hold that against him. Everyone not names Daniel Cormier loses to Anthony Johnson these days. And uh, he goes to the World Series of Fighting, uh, wasn't really a big-name player. And, well, it, it, and when, they, when, they, when they made that promotion, he wasn't one of the bigger names they were trying to build that promotion around. Strings together a few wins, ends up winning the middleweight tournament, and is crowned. The uh, World Series – the inaugural World Series of Fighting middleweight champion beats Yushin Okami who ho- has a win over Anderson Silva. And that was an eye-opener for me. I go, wow, maybe this is a different David than I remember. Defends his belt a couple of times and then decides to go up in weight class and fight for a second belt. So this is a guy – when back in November we're talking about Conor McGregor becoming the first UFC fighter to hold two belts simultaneously mm-hmm. in two different weight class – David Branch did that that very same thing in World Series of Fighting a year earlier. I mean he beat – he won the middleweight title and then went up and won the light heavyweight title and was like – he was like – and defended both of them. He beat Clifford Starr for the middleweight title and he beat Vinnie Magalhaes. Uh, for the light heavyweight title. So this is a guy who won both belts and defended both belts. And then when World Series is fighting folded, I think he was on like a 10 fight winning streak at the time, was the champion of two weight classes. You better believe the UFC knocked on his door and was like, hey, please come back. So this is his first fight back in the UFC wow. since 2011. After basically he was, he was a no-name when he got cut and has made himself – One of the best, biggest free agents out there, signed with the UFC and is now giving Jaco, Christoph Jaco, who is one of these very hungry – like you said, under 30, he's a very hungry prospect. And a fighter who can string together five or six wins in the middleweight division that's under 30 is a necessity for for the future of that division. So, neither of these guys are getting a, an easy fight. Jocko needs David Branch to push him into the top 10. And David Branch needs to prove that he's not just a product of fighting in a different promotion outside of the UFC. So, for the diehard fans, this is a very, very, very important fight. And I, I'm very, like, I've doubted David Branch too many times. So, I, I'm interested to see where this goes.
0: You think Branch takes it? Or do you I like think Brands edge. takes
2: it just based okay. off of his veteranship. Uh, Octagon jitters is a real thing. Yeah, if this is maybe his third or fourth fight since return to the UFC, I give him a much bigger edge but his first fight back and he wasn't even on the pre- main card like what we didn't talk about is this pay-per-view opener was supposed to be Sergio Perez versus Henry Cejudo, and Henry Cejudo hurt his hand and had to get pulled from the card. And David Branch and Zlatko were on the prelims and got the bump up to the main card. So now there's even more lights on him. So I'm I'm curious where I've seen David Branch fight live in World Series of Fighting, and there were maybe five thousand people there. Now he's going to be fighting in like in front of like thirty thousand people, Big bigger fun. audience. Two title fights. The lights are on. So I'm like I said, if you storyline, diehard fans, this is this is a fascinating fight, and not one people should miss.
0: Wow. Well, I'm not going to miss it, and I think this will be as good, could be as competitive of a fight as we see Saturday. Jose, that featherweight fight though, that's sitting in oh, the four God. slot. I know we're <laughs> we're looking at it because it's Frankie Edgar back again. Frankie Edgar who. If you, if you just do go by the stats, he's only lost to two guys in the last decade. And he's coming off of a win over Jeremy Stevens. He's trying to get back into the game. We know about the losses to Aldo and and Henderson. But his fight is a younger. It's a younger Yair Rodriguez who TKO'd yep. BJ Penn, which a lot of people didn't see coming on UFC Fight Night back in January. And this is, by all accounts, Jose, one of the rising stars In all of UFC, I'm really excited for this fight and Frankie Edgar. We know what he's accomplished He's 35 fighting a kid here. It would seem who do you think has the edge going into this one?
2: Well, you got to give it to Frankie Edgar just like what you said everyone He's lost to has fought for the title or has become champion I mean he lost Jose Aldo who in my mind is one of the top five top six fighters in the history of MMA He loses to Benson Henderson And when I say loses at the time, I actually thought Frank Heger won both of those fights. He lost the first one. Could've. But it was one of those fights where, yeah, it, it could go either way. They gave it to Benson. I didn't. It didn't really bother me. He rematches Benson. I thought he won the second fight even more dominantly than the first one. And he still gave it to Benson Henderson. And he did lose to Gray Mater back in the day. But then he had the back-to-back, historic, legendary fight. So Frank Yeager is one of the greatest UFC fighters ever. One of the greatest heavy, lightweights. One of the greatest featherweights it's hard to pick against him, but you. I watched UFC 205 with you when he fought Jeremy Stephens. That was one of the first fights I can remember where Frank Yeager kind of looked his age. He holds the record for most time in the octagon because he's been to a decision so much and he's fought in so many five-round fights. So it seems like that was catching up to him, but he still won. And then it turns out he had a pretty significant knee injury. Going into that fight, he didn't want to pull out because he's from the New York area and he was fighting in the inaugural New York card. He felt he, he owed it to his fans to fight there. Uh, this is his first fight since then. So I'm curious if, if it was the knee injury or if Father Time is finally catching up to Frankie Edgar. But standing up crossing him is the taller Yair Rodriguez. Who is coming off that win over BJ Penn, which I was at, and I believe Yair was the first fighter in the history in history to score a knockdown on BJ Penn, which is really difficult, obviously. Uh, front kick and punches, second round TKO. But again, BJ is an elder statesman of MMA, so there is a very big gap between 2017 BJ Penn and 2017 Frankie Edgar, and it's like. I, I hate calling DJ a low-ranked <laughs> fighter because he's in one of the greatest fighters who ever lives. Going from an unranked fighter to a top three fighter is a massive jump in talent. And before that, he did have that win over Alex Caceres. But that was a split. And against Alex Caceres, Alex Caceres isn't one of those guys who – like like how I describe Yari Rodriguez is he likes to stay outside the three-point line and kind of pick okay. you apart with his range – and if you try and take him down, he's so good on the ground that he can somersault his way out. And he's very good off his back, very good at, at scrambling back to his feet. He has the Taekwondo background. Alex Caceres is not, is not a fighter that will allow you to fight at a distance. Alex Caceres pushed pace and took down very good on the ground, tried to get in his chest. And it went to a decision and Yair won by split. And it was the first time Yair didn't dominate his opponent. Now, Frank Yeager, that style of fighting, getting an opponent's face, moving lateral movement, uh, snatching kicks out of the air and dragging an opponent right. down, no one in the UFC <laughs> does that better than Frankie Yeager. So, if somebody is looking at this fight that knows these two fighters, you would have to pick Frankie Edgar because strength Frank, Yeager, strength. Frank Yeager's strengths is nullifying mm-hmm. Yair's strengths. And he has done that over and over and over and over and over. But Yair is taller. He's younger. I'll say he's faster, just because, like I said, he's younger. So this is most. And Frankie Yair said it said it best. Like he knows what this is about. The UFC is going to use this fight. If Yair beats Frankie, they're basically trying to use Frankie to to catapult Yair up the rankings because Yair is from Mexico. He's a right. good looking kid. He speaks perfect English, which is what the UFC needs. And yes, Cain Velasquez was champion. But he was born in America, and he he represents Mexico. But he was born in San Diego, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. So kind of, I know you're a wrestling guy. It's to almost put him over, is what the UFC wants.
2: One hundred percent. They need. They they don't need. They like I. They made this fight, and they're not. They're not. They don't assume Yair's gonna win. But if Yair wins, I wouldn't be surprised if you're seeing Yair Rodriguez fight the winner of Jose Aldo and Max Holloway in June. And I wouldn't complain if he got it because beating Frankie Edgar should be your ticket. If you can beat Frankie Edgar, you should. That means you should be able to fight for the title. The title. And if Frankie Edgar wins, then he just stays where he is. And Yair Rodriguez, it's it's not bad. Yeah. If if Yair loses, it's not the end of the world because he's so young. He's ten and one. Frankie Edgar has more fights in the UFC than Yair has total fights in his career. So uh, it's not the end of the world if Yair loses. He just it, he just wasn't ready, and for all we, like another two years, he could be the champion. Uh, this is a, I like these kind of fights. I mean, in boxing, this fight would never be made. Uh, no. The UFC, it absolutely would not. Uh, in MMA, this is what it's about: the best fight the best. And I really, really like these fights. And. This, in my opinion, this is the people's main event. This is the this is the fight that most people are interested in. From so, just talking to people.
0: So you're gonna go with the present or the future, so to speak? Do you think? I'm gonna, he gonna go has with it or is it Edgar's time still?
2: I'm gonna go with Frankie. Uh, okay. It's really hard to pick against him. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Frankie, but it's like I made that decision right now. <laughs> uh, I've been de- I've been de- I've been debating this this fight for too long. So right as of right now, I'm picking Frankie.
0: All right, we'll have to see. I mean, it's, that is an excruciatingly close matchup. Only one way to settle it, and that will be this Saturday. All right, still talking UFC 211 with Jose Young's On The Money Mitch Effect. And the welterweight fight, the last of the non-title fights, is a very good one as well. You have two different guys with two you know different paths to get here. Demi Maja, who is 39 years old. A late boom. he's won his last six fights though, so he's been slowly working his way up the rankings, and the guy he's fighting, Jorge Masvidal, who, and it's interesting looking at what he's been able to do, the first thing that jumps out to me, Jose, 43 career fights at the age of 32, which I know certain guys have a different number of fights, but he has been in the octagon a long time, and the last three fights have been very, very impressive. Headlined with a win over the co- uh, a win over the Cowboy Donald Cerrone by TKO last January, and you were talking about that. It was the performance of the night on UFC on Fox. It was a performance that a lot of people raved about, yep. and it's gotten him to third on this card. A big welterweight fight. Who has the advantage just on paper going into this one?
2: On paper, you got to give it to Damian Maya, and uh, for this is. For all intents and purposes, whoever wins this will fight for the welterweight title next. And in my opinion, Damian Maya should already be fighting for the welterweight title. He last fought in, I believe it was July or August, and he submitted Carlos Condit in the first round. Uh, and Damian Maya, in the minds of a lot of people, is the greatest jiu-jitsu practitioner in the history of the UFC. Uh, I believe he's, he's tied for the most submission wins. He's a multiple-time and when I say multiple times, I, I mean he, he has enough gold medals from jiu-jitsu tournaments to – it's unbelievable how many he has. Been a black belt forever and his last four fights – his last four fights, he has absorbed 11 total strikes. And so you say wow. he's 39 – but that, like, you take eleven fights, and and several of those fights went the distance. So you go three rounds, you only absorb four punches. You're not taking damage. That's how dominant he's been. So yeah, he's 39, but he doesn't have the wear and tear of a 39 year old. Yeah, he's been fighting forever, but his style of fighting is so to negate the striker, negate the wrestler. Uh, he's always learning. He's his submission game is the best ever. That he doesn't take damage, right. so he doesn't have to take this fight. Uh, he should already be fighting for the title, but he took it. Very risky. Hori Masvidal was, like you said, just beat Donald Cerrone. And I've talked to him a million times. And for those people who don't know, like maybe you recognize Hori Masvidal. If you see him, you, you look at him, you go, I've seen this guy somewhere. He got famous because he was in the fight videos when Kimbo Slice got famous with those backyard uh, <laughs> yeah. fights. So Jorge Mas- like if, if you would watch those, Kimbo Slice is always the last fight in the video. Hori Masvidal would be quote-unquote the co-main event of the backyard brawls with Kimbo Slice. So when I say this guy is a fighter, he is a fighter. I mean he fought people – has has fought for a chip on his sh- a chip on his shoulder for as long as I've talked to him. Always has, has for the last t- ten years. He's been like, all I need is a chance. All I need is a chance. All I need is a chance. Everyone's ducking me. No one wants to fight me. Promoters don't want to give me the 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 fights that I want. And to so all extended purposes, it was true. I mean, the UFC was giving him these up and coming fighters, and he was knocking them off one at a time, one at a time. Uh, and he kept saying, like, stop giving me these fighters. Give me a real name. Finally, gets Donald Cerrone knocks him out twice. I mean, he knocked <laughs> yeah. he knocked out Donald Cerrone in the first round, and the and the, the referee didn't see it and let Donald Cerrone come out and, come out to fight the second round. Hori Masvidal knocks him out again. So he knocked out Donald Cerrone twice in one fight. So I don't think the UFC expected that. So Hori Mazvidal basically went from like the number eight fighter knocks out the number four fighter and catapults himself in the top five. So uh, this is. Contrast in styles of fighting, contrast in styles of personality, contrast in styles in uh, their their camps. This is a fun scrap. Damian Maya, technically an elder statesman, actually fought Anderson Silva for the middleweight title. That's how long he's been around. So has some pretty decent striking. He knows how to defend. Has improved his wrestling so much so, like he said, he's probably spent a year. Working with collegiate wrestlers to not just learn how to defend, but if he could learn how to take an opponent down like a wrestler, then he, that could that takes him into his world of submission. So he's 39, always always learning and I have to give the edge to him. You can't absorb yeah. 11 punches in four fights and not be the best And uh, him fighting for the title would be the the, the end of a long arduous argu- yeah. journey the welterweight title but same could be said for masvidal
0: it definitely sounded like you were leaning with maya but oh you, i got it it's 100 percent Maya. hospital's knockout power i mean that's the thing he's got that ability and we've seen it before but it's hard to go against the guy that's only been struck uh, ridiculous only 11 strikes taken in four fights it's just insane all right women's strawweight fight now this is where we get to the co-main event and Wow. Uh, I'm excited for this one. Uh, maybe not so much for the pronunciations of their names, <laughs> but you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. Now, Joanna Djerjechik. Uh,
2: Yo- Joanna Djerjechik. Or, or you can just call, call her Joanna Champion. That's Jindjic. what most Jindjic. people call her.
0: Well, no, and I've gotten to the point now where I'm obviously familiar with her. She's undefeated, 13-0. Yeah. She's got a lot of swag. She's a sneakerhead. We, we know all of her positives. And, look, she's been cleaning out this newly formed strawweight division. Her opponent is Jessica Andrade, and the thing about that, Jose, is I want to ask you this question first. Did you think in 2015, when she lost to Raquel Pennington, that this would be on her radar? Because it kind of is remarkable that this was what's happened since then. She was able to run off three wins against some pretty good fighters to put herself in this position. So I think this is a rise that I don't think a lot of people might have expected.
2: I think this, this should have happened a long time ago because when she fought Raquel Pennington, I think that was her sixth or seventh fight in the UFC. And she's 5'2, mm-hmm. and she was fighting at bantam weight. So she was fighting at 135 pounds. She was fighting in the same weight class as Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm and Misha Tate. And she was vastly undersized for that division. But she wanted to fight in the UFC so bad that she went up basically went up two weight classes to yeah. fight at 135 you pounds. It. Yeah, and it's not like she was bad. She went like four and three, five and three, and but she also beat Raquel Pennington. So they're one and one. And the people she lost to, Liz Carmouche, fought for the title. Raquel Pennington could very well fight for the title next year. Mayer and Renault one of the better uh, sneaky submission specialists in all of MMA. So finally she decides, okay, I'm 5'2". I need to fight at 115 pounds, drops to 115 pounds, and crumples Jessica Penney, who fought for the title in her very first fight, and then submits Joanne Calderwood, who the UFC was priming for a run at strawweight, and then fights Angela Hill on short notice, and is, in my opinion, the best female strawweight fight I have ever seen. So... If she – if the UFC had offered the UFC strawweight division in 2013, 2014, Mm -hmm. she would have already fought for the title. But now that she has the opportunity to fight at a real weight class, she's showing what she can do. And she is so powerful and is a black belt in jiu-jitsu, excellent on the ground, which should play in her strength because Joanna. Joanna's strength is obviously your striking, but she doesn't have knockout crumpling power. She whittles you down with bug bites and then kills you with that last punch in the fourth or fifth oh, round. Yeah. But yeah. everything I said about Jessica Andrade, <laughs> I said the same thing about Claudia Gadela. and Joanna beat her both times. So every time I pick Joanna Njajic to lose her belt, she wins. So this is so difficult for me to pick.
0: Well, and it's funny, because Andre also... Fights pretty well on fights that Stevie's on the card, so you know yeah, on that, on that UFC that. 203 card, the win over Calderwood there. But you talk about Joanna Champion, Double J, whatever you want to call her, and it's been remarkable what she's done. Thirteen and zero, and you know it, it's you see a different type of fighter when she's in there. I mean, she just controls everything. You mentioned a death by a thousand paper cuts by the fourth or fifth round. Not only does she know it's coming, but I think the opponent knows that the end is near by how she just puts together an unbelievably solid game plan time after time.
2: Yeah, and what people don't talk about is like she has very accurate striking, comes from a Muay Thai background, multiple-time champion there, uh, has excellent, excellent takedown defense. And if someone does take her down, she's working to get back up immediately. Excellent scrambles. She's at American Top Team. Which is one of the one of if not the best camps in the United States. However, her last fight against Catalina Kovalkiewicz, UFC 205, I thought was going to be Joanna's easiest fight because Catalina, yeah, she won several fights in a row, but she wasn't dominating. She just strung together a handful of wins and then, which earned her the title shot. Yeah, she did earn it because she beat Rose, but I thought that was going to be her easiest fight. And it ended up looking like one of her hardest, where Joanna didn't just blow through her; she actually got rocked in that fight. So I'm curious which Joanna shows up: the Joanna that beat Carlos Sparza in one of the most dominant performances by a title challenger I have ever seen, the one that turned Jessica Penny's face in a hamburger meat, or the one that got dropped by Carolina Kovač, who do- who never really showed to have power. If jessica andrage connects with the same punch Catalina kovalchavich did you're going to bed so i'm this is this is a hard pick but whenever it's a toss-up i my rule of thumb is in mma or boxing you got to go with the champion so i'm gonna go with jj yeah.
0: She yeah. I mean, that's a great way to look at it. She just looks too tough right now, but this is a very dangerous fight. But if
2: I believe Jessica Andrade is the underdog betting wise, so I, if I'm a, if I was a betting right. man, yeah. I would put money on Andrade because I think she has a better chance of winning than any of Joanna's last few opponents Of course, that's how.
0: Hey, you <laughs> don't have to tell me that's how betting works. But this is a, a coin flip. That the champion might have a slight edge, but it is very close to call. All right, Jose Young's Money Mitch effect, the main event. Of UFC 211, the heavyweight <laughs> title fight between Stipe Miochic, the number six pound-for-pound fighter in the UFC against a guy that's beaten him before, Junior Dos Santos, former UFC heavyweight champion, and a guy that really hasn't fought in over a year, has had yep. one fight a year since 2014, but he's back in the game in the title picture. Jose, are you surprised that this fight is happening now, that dos Santos is basically walking right back into a heavyweight title fight
2: i'm not because uh junior actually beat stipe back in 2013 and that was stipe's last loss and that fight was i was cage side for that that was in phoenix and that was one of the best heavyweight fights i've ever seen a lot of people actually scored it for stipe it was very narrow i gave the edge to junior but if stipe had got the decision i would have i wouldn't have been upset both guys were very very in very bad shape at the end both covered in blood and faces were swollen. Uh, and I know Stipe is a is a competitive guy. And if they go, Stipe, who do you want to fight next? He was going to pick Junior because he wants that win back. And Junior beat Ben Rothwell in his last fight. And yeah, it was a few years ago, but Ben Rothwell was on a four fight winning streak over guys like Josh Barnett and Overeem and Matt Mitrione. So I, Junior was expected to lose that fight. And it was one of his most dominant performances. He won like 50 45 across the board. He was supposed to fight Stefan Struve earlier, but Struve got hurt. He pulled out. He offered to fight Verdum on short notice when Cain Velasquez got hurt in December. Verdum turned it down because he wanted to fight Stipe. Junior is probably the nicest guy in MMA. He he – offered the UFC his services to fight for Doom and save the card, and the UFC rewarded him with a title shot. I know I know for a fact Stipe wanted this fight, so no, I'm not surprised whatsoever. And I think if anyone deserves a heavyweight title fight, it would be Junior. He is a former champion after all.
0: Yeah, and we know what he can do. We know the punching power is scary, and we know Stipe isn't going to back down the reigning heavyweight champion in a division that, you know, you pointed this out. I think, what is he... The record is two title defenses for the, yeah, if, the if, heavyweight division.
2: If A wins, he'll he'll join an uh, elusive club of uh, multiple mul- multiple heavyweights have had two title defenses, but no wow. one can can get past that. Wow. And it's always been it's always been like Frank Mir was hit by a car on his motorcycle, I had to give up the belt, or Brock Lesnar gets diverticulitis. So it's not like they're getting hurt; it's all of these these weird circumstances.
0: So do you think Stipe is in a better position since that last fight in December of 2014? Do you think the matchup favors him more? Or do you think there are still some problems that Dos Santos will present for him?
2: I think both of these fighters, both of these fighters have grown, but Stipe has been more active like you said. I mean, he's fought four times since losing since losing to Junior and Junior's only fought twice and it was twice in 2 years and he got knocked out by Alistair Overeem, but, like, you get knocked out by Alistair Overeem. That's not the end of the world because everyone gets knocked out yeah. by Alistair Overeem. Almost, yeah. uh, and then Alistair Overeem actually got the title fight because he beat Junior. And then he gets crumpled by Stipe Miocic. And Stipe has four fights, four straight wins, four straight knockouts. Uh, beat Andrei Arlowski, former. Beat for Doom, Was the champion beat Overeem, former Strike Force, K1, and Dream Champion, beat Mark Hunt, former title challenger. And when he beat Mark Hunt, it, at the time, it was the mo- he landed the most strikes in, the, in one fight in UFC history. It was something like 200, 300-something significant strikes to Mark Hunt. And then the referee was like, okay, enough is enough. Like Mark Hunt was still trying to fight, and the referee saved him. So you take that fight against Stipe, which a lot of people – Say Stipe won, and you it, it say say two of the three judges gave that to him. Stipe Miocic is on a seven fight win streak, so I don't know how much he how much he needs to learn from that last fight. But it's it's a fascinating fight considering uh, how hard these. And in my opinion, these are the two best boxers in the heavyweight division. So it'll be a fun stand up match if that's where it goes.
0: Yeah, we know about Dos Santos. Stipe also golden gloves when he was growing up. Hundred percent. So this is going to be a good one, all right, Jose? The time is here. You have to pick a winner <laughs> in this gonna... fight. It's I, 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 we milked it long enough. But somebody has to walk out UFC heavyweight champion on Saturday night. Who do you think it will be?
2: I'm going to pick Stipe, uh, But similar to the last, like I feel like I've said this for all of them. It's I, I was going back and forth on these this fight for a long time. But taking into account that Stipe's, Stipe has been more active, he is the champion. Juniors come, hasn't fought in a year, and he's coming off injuries. And uh, he did lose to Overing when Stipe beat Overeem, but it's the heavyweight division, so MMA math doesn't even matter. I'm going to go with Stipe. I'll, I'll give the edge to the champion, yeah. but I don't think I don't think this goes five rounds. I think someone's getting knocked out.
0: Wow, that, no, I mean that's <laughs> two best boxers. That's always a good possibility. I'm with you. I think Stipe finishes a, a rusty ish Dos Santos early. And if that were to happen, the last thing I want to bring up, what do you think is next for this division? If Stipe gets the win over Dos Santos, where does it go from here?
2: Oh Well, Verdum is going to be fighting uh, Overeem in the summer. If Verdum wins, they will probably do the rematch. And when he fights Overeem, it's the rubber match. So who knows? Uh, this division is Cain is Velasquez is floating out there. You got uh, Josh Barnett just got popped for uh, performance-enhancing drugs, so like, he's not fighting anytime soon. I really wanted... Francis Ngannou was out there. I, Dana White's already said. I, sh- I've, I was talking... I've, every time me and you meet up, I always bring up Francis Ngannou. He's like yep. 6'5", shredded, 0% body fat, uh, Cameroonian who speaks French, so knocked out uh, Arlovski in his last fight. I know the UFC is very high on him. Dana White actually says that he envisions... Nguanu being a future champion. Derek Lewis is fighting Mark Hunt uh, in the main event at UFC New Zealand. But if I'm going to have to pick someone, maybe the UFC books Inguanu one more fight. But if Nguanu wins dominantly again, I think the UFC is going to want to give him a okay. bump because they really want to break into that French market. But okay. the heavyweight division is real weird right now.
0: I just want to know how many years we need to wait until John Jones is fighting in the heavyweight oh, division. Oh <laughs> my, if,
2: if John Jones beats... Daniel Cormier because John Jones will fight Daniel Cormier in July in Anaheim. If he beats Daniel Cormier I think he's going to fight Gustafson one more time and then maybe fight one or two more. I, so two more years I bet John Jones okay. jumps up to heavyweight. Okay,
0: well, <laughs> that'll be exciting too. we got to make sure you know he's he's clean. His academics are in order as yeah, Daniel Cormier exactly. said. Alright, Jose Young, this was fun. I know we're looking forward for this fight card and uh, I'm pretty optimistic this time. That this will deliver top to bottom. Fingers crossed, no one way.
2: gets hurt by Saturday.
0: Yeah, well, that's what we can only hope. Well, Jose, thanks for joining the show. We'll be back on soon. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. Thanks
2: again.
0: 100%. That's it for today's show. Big thanks to Jose Youngs and Joker Sally for making appearances, breaking down some important sporting events. And a reminder you can find all the episodes of the Money Mitch effect on SoundCloud, iTunes and Google Play. All three just search it Money Mitch effect with the an E and it pops right up. There'll be two episodes next week. We got more hockey, more basketball, UFC recap and some other things to discuss as well. It's already May 12th. We're we're moving along. Spring sports season is almost over, but we're hitting our peak. A lot to discuss going forward. Tennis, too. French Open's coming up. we got to preview that as well. But that's the show for today. I am Mitch Michaels. If you liked it, subscribe, write a review. If you didn't, pretend like I didn't just say anything. But in all seriousness, have a great weekend. Enjoy the sports. Enjoy conference final hockey and conference final basketball. The Spurs and the Warriors start on Sunday. Cavs waiting to find their opponent. But it's a great time to be a sports fan. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, this was The Money Mitch Effect.